Hello, saints. Grace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. With this episode, we're all the way into Hebrews 6, verse 11. There's a long stint that's not on the podcast. Uh, COVID hit, and then we had some recording issues, and we did a lot of YouTubes, but we didn't make them public. So we're moving straight from Hebrews 4.16, jumping all the way down to Hebrews 6.11, and we'll proceed from there. Trust you enjoy these encouraging messages. God bless. thank you and we thank you for how you've taken care of all the people in this church and all our relatives and and, uh, and not not allowed any harm to come to any of us and we thank you that we just love you back and and just thank you that you're you've ma made a way for us and that you've paid the price for us and uh, now now we're yours and uh, we look forward to the time when we'll be with you uh, uh, when you, when that trumpet blows and we we raise up, but in the meantime uh, we're here to occupy and we're here to do your word and we're here to stand for you in Christ's name, Amen. 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 All right. So faith and patience. Uh, I suppose any subject matter in Scripture you can you can grandstand on. I mean, do you can build a whole denomination on one aspect. Um, you know, Baptist comes to mind, and uh, <laughs> I, I can use them because I came out of the water, and and so I'm not going to uh, on the faith and patience portion. Let's take the faith part as a given, and we get an entire a section of Hebrews of exemplars of what it means to walk in faith. But we get a taste of that here in Hebrews 6. So what's not talked a lot about is how faith and patience work hand in hand and the importance of patience in walking with God. So we're going to take off right where we left off last we met, Hebrews 6 verses 11 and 12, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Talk about grandstanding. There's a lot of grandstanding you can do in the scripture, but the full assurance of hope until the end. Once you reach the end, do you need hope anymore? No, because you're there. Yeah, you're there, right? Because <laughs> the man has, what does he have hope for? So, but that, that full assurance of hope 
is supposed to carry us all the way to the end. I think the last verse of this chapter says it anchors the soul. So the, the robustness of the hope we're talking about is the kind of hope that carries you forward. Uh, Andrew Murray, in dealing with this section of, of Scripture, he starts off his, his commentary on verses 13 through 15. He says, The Christian life is a race. To begin profits nothing unless we run to the end and reach the goal. Faith may accept, only long-suffering inherits the promise. Uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty cool quote. Um, so, faith and patience. Let's just read the whole section. For when God made a promise to Abram or Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, I just noticed this. I've been throwing up the, the ESV here, uh, but... This is not the way it reads in the King James or probably in Genesis either. So I'm going to go right to the King James. And it is verse 14. Surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. God's doubling down. He's not only doubling down, He's ex exponentially doubling down. I'm going to... So it's, it's a... It's a classic Hebraic parallelism, right? I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you. How am I going to bless you? I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you a father of nations, right? So, count the stars, Abraham. Count the grains of sand. I'm going to bless you, and the way I'm going to bless you is I'm going to multiply you. So that's a double down, right? Bless, multiply. That's the but he says, I'm going to... Blessing, I'm going to bless you, and then multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. It's like, I'm really going to do this. Okay? In abundance, or Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. He, he's, he's emphasizing it by doubling down that in blessing, I'm going to bless you. Uh, <laughs> God, that almost sounds like a duh, right? God's going to bless you with blessing. And God's going to bless you in blessing. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. It's, it's like, Thank you, Lord. We're, it's, children, yeah. we're children of Abraham. Yeah, we can kind of get a sense of this is that. Um, in soaking, I will wet you. <laughs> I mean, you could be wet. You could be soaked. In soaking, I will drown you. <laughs> okay? You could be soaked. You could be drowning in it. Right? Now, drowning has a bad connotation, but if you're drowning in something that's good... You know, we, we, we do that in our language all the time. We say things are bad or whatever the case may be when actually we mean the absolute opposite, right? Explain. <laughs> so, but, so in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently endured. So this having patiently endured is the verb form of um, this patience here. So this patience here is a noun. And then this having patiently waited is a verb. So the noun form of this word and, and then the verb form of this Greek word. So Abraham patiently endured and then he inherited the promise. And what's the promise? 
to Abraham? The son. A son. He promises him a son. So if we, if we just, we've got to walk with Abraham today. Because if we're going to be imitators of those who faith and patience inherited the promise, the first example chipped up of who we should imitate is Abraham, uh, who's called the father of, hold on, comes to me, faith, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to talk about faith, let's just go to the prototype. Father of many nations. Yeah. So, how extreme can faith be? So, I, I have a confession to make. I'm good with faith up to a certain point, but there's a certain point where a faith claim gets to a gets to a place where I'm thinking, you've got to balance that out with some other scripture. You're, you're just kind of, I don't know. So uh, when I was a kid growing up in the buckle of the Bible belt, and and then you know got a little bit older and we had a different epidemic, uh, AIDS. Prior to that AIDS epidemic, there was a lot of hoopla on Jehovah's Witnesses not taking blood transfusions. And, there were, and it just became a thing in the press where um, children of Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Jehovah's Witnesses themselves who were facing a dire disease, refusing a blood transfusion, and this was seen as, as radical, crazy, you know, and they got, yeah, they got a lot of flack for it, and then came AIDS. And then it didn't seem so extreme at all to just not drink blood, or eat blood, or take blood. How extreme is your faith? And so, in, in Genesis 5, 15, and, and obviously, um, Abraham's journey begins before this, when God tells Abram, leave, leave where you are. He says, go. Um, uh, what's the guy's name? I've got his book right up here in front of me. It is, you know, if I see the name, it's right up there. It is the gift of the Jews, Thomas Cahill. Can't see his name, but it just came to me. Thomas Cahill says that in, in this encounter where, where God tells Abram to go, the entire worldview of the ancient world change. That was the change of it. Prior to Abraham being in a place and fulfilling his role on the great wheel of death, <laughs> you know, everything that has been was, and everything that is will be again. And your entire role in life is to make sure that cycle repeats and replicates. Hey, no, my haircut. That it repeats and replicates in the circular thing. Everyone's function is to just make sure they stay on that. You've heard it in different ways, you know, the karma wheel, all these kind of things. You know, fate. This is our role. This is what it is. And in this, in this whole thing, idol-smashing Abram leaves. He goes to a horizon. His timeline steps outside of this cyclical, faded thing to a progressive, dynamic hope. And he leaves. That's Genesis 12. So now you come all the way to Genesis 15. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And so Abram says, Well, thanks. Gosh, that's fine. 
I just took on some giants in the Valley of Rephaim and got locked back and everything's looking pretty good. I, I appreciate you protecting me. Where are my kids? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. She brought John, John Eric to church. I should, I should tone it down. He said, Lord God, what will thou give me? You see, I go childish. And my steward, this Eleazar, of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. It's all good, God. But I've got a servant I have to give all this stuff to. Not my own progeny. Everything you've blessed me with, I cannot transfer inside of my family. Abram says, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So, this is a servant's born in his house, but it's not his son. Now, if you've seen the Bible films, you know, I, I don't know, I give up after a while. So the last one I saw that I had high hopes for, um, it just wound up being the same thing. There's this clueless pagan and this echoing voice and our hero stumbles about, buffeted by the world, with this blind, I heard this voice, and everything's going to be okay. Some chapters previous, where Abram gives tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek kind of a big thing in Hebrews. Yeah. They take Lot. Abram says, oh, oh, you have Lot. Okay. He's got over 300 men trained to the bow in his household. He goes after them. He raids them. He takes them. He brings them back. If you're the wealthiest guy grazing sheep in the open range, trust me, you've got an armed force making sure your wealth doesn't go to anybody else. You start digging holes so you can give water to your pasture, you've got people drawing water out of those wells. And the last one I saw, Abram's like, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe I'll take my shepherd's staff and we'll go run after him and then lightning will come from the sky. <laughs> it's one of these kinds of things. Faith is aggressive. And, and, and look at his, um, his, his just complete honesty. He's called the friend of God. You know, friends um, actually talk past, hey, what's the weather like? And, yeah, I'm okay. You doing all right? Fine. You know, it's things like, you know what really chased my butt? <laughs> I mean, we, we get into nuts and bolts. What's going on? God says, hey, I love you. Things are great. I'm your shield and buckler. Abram says, okay, so what gives? I've got no kids. What are you going to give me? What's the point? Got no children. You talk to God like this? I mean, contentment and dissatisfaction can reside in the same place. You can be content in God and dissatisfied with the status quo. It's okay. You know? Contentment, contentment is not passivity. Contentment is knowing you're in daddy's lap. But you can be dissatisfied with the status quo and aggressively go after something else. But you got to talk, you know, it's like um, employees coming to you uh, when you don't have the final say on what their wages are and they're complaining about their wages. Well, that's all, that's all well and good. Hey, Adam! That's all well and good, but you're, you're, 
you're talking to the wrong guy. You don't like your wages. You've got two choices. You can talk to the guy who changed your wages, or you can walk out the door. Or just be quiet. So, I don't have any kids. And uh, so the word comes to him and he says, Ah, this Damascus, this, this Eleazar, he's not going to be your, your, uh, your heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Okay? So this is, I think this is the first place where, you know, faith comes by righteousness. Okay? This is the first place where it says, Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, I'll take that trust in me, and I will ascribe righteousness to you for that. I will take that in the place of actual not having any sin. I'll take this in that place, and I'll give you righteousness because you have faith in me. Okay? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? You're having, a, you're having a gripe session with God, whatever the gripe is. Whatever it is you feel like, it's just not, you know. Um, I don't know, fill in the blank. Kids are a pretty important thing. But, but fill in the blank, you know. I, I'm, you know, here, here you've told me that I'm going to be a, a preacher, and I, I haven't, I haven't never preached a sermon. Come outside. You see those stars? You'll be preaching to that many people. Nah, me? Abram didn't do that. See, that's what we Huh, me? Oh, he didn't do that. He goes, okay. You ever seen this guy without uh, light pollution? Oh my mm -hmm. goodness. It's awesome. Awesome. I mean, it's it's hard to do this. It's hard to do this justice if you haven't been out and seen the night sky without earth light. Obscuring. Obscuring it. So so he steps out of his tent. It's a guy who has no children. God just said, Hey, go count stars. Guess what? Most of what he can see up there that we call stars are actually galaxies. <laughs> They're galaxies. Oh my goodness. This is one of these things until... Wait a minute, I won't even go there. So, galaxies. And he, he believed that. And so he had a kid the next year. No. No, he didn't have a kid the next year. Matter of fact, he hit some... He, he, uh, he has some snags. Just imitators. The imitators of those who, uh, through uh, faith and patience, inherit the promises. Imitators is the Greek word mimetes. It's, a, it's an imitator or a follower. Are you familiar with mimic? Yeah. Right? That's the, it's the same root in this Greek word, this mimetes. This is where we get the word mimic from. Um, so in, in one fashion, it's an actor or an imitator. But this imitating is to um, follow the pattern of, okay? To, to follow after, follow the pattern of. We're, we're told to uh, imitate quite a few things in, in Scripture, but Paul puts himself out as an example, be followers of me, be imitators of me, and then he qualifies it as I am of Christ. So he can ask the saints to follow his pattern of life because he's patterning his life after Christ, okay? So that's that, that's that word, memente. So, um, 
This is uh, out of uh, Vine's uh, New Testament dictionary, Greek words anyhow. It's, he says, it's used in exhortations accompanied by the verb to be or become in a continuous tense. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, 11, 11, uh, 1, Ephesians 5, 1, be, be imitators of God as dear children. You know, this is to be imitators of God and tenderheartedness, forgiveness, and love, right? So, to be imitators of God. And this is in that continuous sense that you're, you're you know, you, oh, I, hey, there's a pattern I want to follow. I want to be like that. How, how is that successful? And, and then follow that pattern. Okay? This is, this is what discipleship's about. Discipleship's not about seminars and classes. Discipleship's about, how does that guy live? Master, where do you live? You want to come see? You know, discipleship's about where actual life meets the road. I mean, you, you, can hide, you can hide a lot of stuff for multiple weeks if all you're doing is getting together two hours a week. Live with someone for a year or two. Uh, and then you find out some stuff. How real is this faith? How real is this wall? What are they really like? Are they forgiving at home? Trying to watch. Yeah, you know. I mean, is there love there? I mean, what's going on? Okay. So, so in most cases, this this mimetes is used in this sense, in this continuous tense. But in Hebrews six twelve, it's not used in the continuous tense. I love this. It's used in the arrowist tense. So. In Hebrews 6.12, it's used in, in the aorist or momentary tense, and it indicates a decisive act with permanent results. Remember, this is the, this is the third warning in Hebrews. He's, he's, he's on them. He's like, don't backslide. You, you should be teachers. You shouldn't be sitting there sucking on a milk bottle like babies. You should be eating solid food. You should be making a decision to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You should make that decision now and it should have permanent results. Isn't that good? So, I think we have other scriptures that tell us this should be a continual process, but right here in Hebrews, the writer to, the, you know, the writer to this congregation is saying, you know, you, you, you need to do this. You need to do this. So, Faith and patience. And um, Peter wrote to, to, you know, to, to, to look at the prophets um, as, as examples of long-suffering. That's what we're talking about, is long-suffering, patience and long-suffering. So, uh, Abraham's a prophet, okay? Not, not really much known as being a prophet, but he's, he's referred to as a prophet in Scripture. So, a common word translated patience uh, in, in the King James and also in, in a lot of modern translations. Long-suffering is, long is a word that it's archaic. Yeah, he's pretty long-suffering. We don't use that. Did you use that in a conversation this week? Yeah, my boss, he's pretty long-suffering. Uh, it was the last time you used that in casual conversation in the 20, 21st century, right? <clears throat> Unfortunately, um, the answer is then we do wind up using uh, patience to cover both angles here. So the, the common word here uh, used for patience in, in the New Testament, translated patience, is hupomone, which is uh, to 
It's, it's cheerful or hopeful endurance. It's not, grin, it's not gritting it. It's not gritting it out. You know? Um, it's, it's a combination word. Hupo, under, and meno, to abide. To bide or bear under. So, to, to, to bear under, you know, I always had this mental image of, oh, okay, yeah, I'm being patient. I'm, you know, I'm holding that weight. Oh, I'm getting patient. God's going to deliver me. I'm... No. It's cheerful, hopeful endurance. Knowing it's going to happen. Knowing it's going to happen. But that's not the word used here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> this principle applies, and, there, and, and there's a, um, you know, kind of a synonymous uh, connection between these two words, but, but this hupomone is not the word used in Hebrews 6.12. The word used in Hebrews 6.12 is macrothumia, and translated often as long-suffering. Macrothumia. Now we know the word macro. It's a nice fish. No, that's a mackerel. I'm sorry. You have micro and macro, right? So, macrothumia, or thumia. Large. 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 So, macros is long, and thumos is temper. Literally, long-tempered. Long-tempered. This, this is a different facet or aspect of self, self-control is self-control. Long-tempered is, well, if you're one of those old cartoon bombs, you know, that from acne that the wily coyote puts out on the road for the roadrunner to come by, well, the fuse to that bomb, well, it's not in New Mexico or Arizona. Maybe the fuse to that bomb is somewhere in England. It's a long fuse. Long suffering. You think about Abram's reaction when they take Lot. Think about Abram's relationship with Lot. They get, um, I always imagine, I remember the, the uh, we came back to the States and I was just shy of my 11th birthday. Anyhow, we, 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 we came, uh, we came out, my mother and I came out to California, I think we came out on the bus, and, and I mean, you're just going through all these dry states and you get over the Sierras and you come into California and you crest, it's almost like you crest the mountain and all of a sudden the entire San Joaquin Valley is open to view. And, and so you've just come out of desert. And now you come in to one of the most opulently rich, fruitful valleys in all of the continental United States. Paradise. It's just... And, and so this is what these guys did. They show up and... And they get, you know, um, right by this lake that we call the, hey, what's it? We call the Dead Sea. And Lot looks at all the, oh, this is great ground. Looks like paradise. And and uh, they have too much cattle. They have too too many too many animals. And so uh, Abram says, look, you choose land. You go whatever way you go. I'll go the other way. And so Lot chooses the lush, verdant ground by Sodom. And we all know how that worked out, right? 
Then uh, anyhow, Sodom rebelled, and there's all this big war, and they take him. And so Abram goes out and, and gets him back, and not only gets him back, gets all of Sodom back. Okay? Uh, think about those reactions. Think about those reactions and him hiding out in Egypt and just kind of uh, turning to Sarah and says, you know what, how about now you just uh, tell folks you're my sister because, you know, you are, and I don't want them to kill me because you're so good looking. And once they figure out we're married, they'll just kill me and take you. Well, they take her anyway. You don't attack anybody in Egypt. All right, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even sound like he even complains to the Pharaoh, which, you know, you, you, can, uh, you can slice that six ways from Saturday or Sunday or whatever you want to do it. I mean, what's he doing? That's his wife. She's a, but and, and this is where the son is supposed to come from. Right, right. Um, so you you might think you might yeah I mean you you may uh, take 20, 21st century Moors and toss them all the way back onto Abram and say well you know he should have cared about his wife and he should have done this and he, well he lied he did all that or, or maybe he was just long suffering maybe God shows up and tells the Pharaoh hey. You've got a problem. <laughs> if you touch this man or his wife, you're dead. All your people are dead. <laughs> okay. Let's just say that in, in Abram's walk with God, God says go and Abram goes. It's not like there aren't any obstacles. I mean, he's in Egypt because there's a famine. Hey, wait a minute. Well, you sent me to Canaan. Why you send me there? And then now, now there's this famine. What's, what's going on? And yet, on the back side of that, he comes out and he believes God. God takes him out, shows him a star in the sky and says, all your kids. Okay, I believe you. Well, what we're to imitate is that macrothumea, that slow simmer passion, that long-tempered approach in faith that carries us to the finish line. So, this is from Hogg and Vine's notes on Thessalonians. And, 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 and in essence, trying to, to uh, it's, it's part of a, of a paragraph intended to differentiate between God's long-suffering toward us and our patience in life. So it's a theological kind of a definition. But I thought it was powerful. And they say patience is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. It is the opposite of despondency and is associated with hope. I love that. Okay? So both hupomone and macrothumea, we translate as patience because they're both patience. They're just different nuances of patience, but what patience does, patience isn't despondency like, oh, it's hopeless. You know, you sit in the sand and then you're quiet and boom. <laughs> no, no. Patience is cheerful endurance. Patience is, it just doesn't surrender to the circumstances. It does not surrender to the circumstances. So I want you to think about not surrendering to the circumstances when we continue to look at, I mean, we, we all know this narrative, we all know this account, but consider not surrendering to the circumstances. What does that mean in terms of patient long-suffering? 
Not surrendering to the circumstances. God, I have no kids. What are you going to give me? I have no heir. Step outside, Abram. Look up. See that? Can you count it? Oh, you can't. Well, I'm going to give you that many. I'm going to give you that many. Right? So, we get... Uh, We get to Genesis 17. And, you know, between 15 and, and 17, what do we have? 16. 16. And, and what happens in, in 16? Somebody gets impatient. In, uh, in Genesis 16, 2, Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, that I may be, uh, that I may be, I said, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her handmaid, the Egyptian. Oh, wait a minute. Hagar was part of that payoff Abram got for the embarrassment of Pharaoh taking his wife. Hagar was part of those riches he walked out of Egypt with. And so they had an issue. Are you assigning um, a wrong decision, therefore, in going to Egypt? Not necessarily. But Hagar was a mistake. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Hagar was a mistake. And she's the one that's named. I'm sure there were others. <laughs> so, so they had Ishmael. And... Chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old, 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Lord Almighty God. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. We're still not into the wording here of in, in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply you, but... Genesis is about blessing. You got to follow the blessing in Genesis, okay? And that's what Genesis is all about—the blessing that that uh, um, Edom gave away. So, verse three: Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, "As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram." But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations I have made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, That shall keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in thy generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. I, I, look, I can't help but think how practical God is. That in a daily function, 
From this day forward, Abraham and all his male children will be reminded forever that they're in covenant with God. <laughs> From the time they're eight days old. Okay? I mean, that's, that's very practical. Right? Want to remind of the covenant? Uh, we should have a signet. We should have a necklace. We should have a special robe. I've got an idea. Um, he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man, child, in your generations, he that is born in the house or brought, bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thine house and he that is bought with money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Look at God. So it's not, um, he's promising, he, he is identifying that this promised seed that he gave in Genesis 3.15 is going to come through Abram's line. But he's not limiting the covenant community to Abraham's progeny. He's saying, I'll make it. You buy them, you bring them in your household, bring them into covenant. They join you, bring them into covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her, na her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham got on his knees and said, Oh, thank you, God. I've been waiting for this prompt. <laughs> the reality of this interaction... And, 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 uh, and Abraham fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Now, I haven't worked out how old he was when he slipped out of his father's household, but he's been on the road a while, okay? And now he is 99 years old. And God says, Hey, I'm bringing one from you and Sarah. And he falls down and laughs. Really? Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? Now, all couples who've been married long enough uh, have pains and agonies and things that hurt their hearts. So, ladies, think about just the mental gymnastics that Sarah went through when she decided, you know what, you can sleep with my slave so I can have a child. How bad does that woman want a child? Now, in that context, this is concubine. In that context, it's not adultery, per se. Does that change the heart issue any? Not really. Jesus recaptured original intent, right? One man, one woman, a life. So, when you get to Christian leadership and the Christian ethic, it's husband of one wife. Not multiple wives. So, so how many years? Well, let's just say that she is of 
Potential childbearing age at, I don't know, what do you want to call it? 14? 16? Let's give her 16. Let's just say, let's just marry them off now. This brother and sister, same father, different mothers. You want to make her 20? Shoot, marry her old. Her. Let's just say she's a, she's 30 years old when she gets married. 60 years she hasn't had any children. 60 years no progeny. But you know it's been longer than 60 years. You know that they they got hitched and, and you know, within the first year, you know. So when are those grandbabies coming? So when are those grandbabies coming? So when, hey Abram, when are we moving? You know what? I just got a word from the Lord that we're supposed to leave my father's house. It's not the way it happened. But, okay? And then, and then God shows up after having promised him this, after having walked through covenant with him, after telling him count the stars, Abram believed it. He took God at his word and believed in God said, I'm going to take that for righteousness. God shows up and He says, I'm changing your name. You're Abraham. I'm changing your wife's name. She's Sarah. And Abraham falls on his face laughing. <coughs> Are you serious? A hundred-year-old man's going to be a daddy. And my 90-year-old wife's going to give birth. Maybe it was part, part joy, too. It could have been part of the joy. Next verse. Okay. <laughs> And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before thee. I have a son! All this, you're going to do... I. What about Ishmael? He's my boy. This is Abraham's son. He's 13 years old. Remember your first child? How do you feel about them when they're 13? <laughs> what if they're your only child? You know? I, I've never really had the experience of being an only child. <laughs> that makes two of us. Hey, so my joke is, my joke is he's so, so Elizabeth's the oldest of seven, and Gideon's the youngest of seven. I grew up the youngest of seven. So, you know, uh, Firstborns in a big family, they're like super only children. You know, they're like super firstborns. We only say they're only, chi they're only, only children. children. Yeah, <laughs> only child with six siblings, you know? And then the baby, like me, I'm an only child with a bunch of uh, brothers. Adopted. Yeah, a bunch of brothers. Um, anyhow, this is his plea. What about Ishmael? And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. You remember what Isaac means? <laughs> Laughter. <laughs> Man, you can't tell me God does not have a sense of humor. <laughs> and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. The promise is going to come through Isaac. You're, you're, this is this is going to be. I am designated. Now, on the grand epic scale of this, this is 
this is Yahweh standing aside after after the serpent has taken down Adam and Eve and sin. And God has said, her seed's going to crush your head. And then God <clears throat> telegraphs every move. You know, generally in a fair fight, you don't know what the opposition is going to do. God says, I'll tell you what, I'll make it easy for you. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. You see this guy, Abram? I'm going to bless him. It's going to come through him. Oh, it's going to come through his son Isaac. Oh, it's going to come through his son Jacob. Oh, it's going to come through his son Judah. Oh, it's going to come through his son David. Come on. Is that all you got, devil? Keep coming. Telegraphed at every move of the way. Okay, here he is. Tell you what. Holy Spirit gets Jesus says, Let's go out there. You can go talk to him. No, no food, no water. Don't pack anything. Just go out there. Have a chat with him for a minute. All the way to the cross. All the way to the grave. All the way down to Hades. All the way to jerking the keys of death and Hades out of his hand. Thank you, Lord. Which is why, when he finally gets kicked down in the last days, he's mad. <laughs> because by now, he's had his head pounded so hard that it's about to crack. Okay? So God is calling every move. He's, he is narrowing down the field of this blessing. And he says, it's going to be Isaac. And he left off talking with him, and God went up to Abraham. He went up from Abraham. <laughs> it's like end of conversation, right? Uh, and so, uh, so then we move forward, and chapter twenty-one. may have transposed my, my Egypt and Abimelech thing, but we're in, we're in chapter 21, regardless. Verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. So the Lord shows up to a 90-year-old woman and opens her womb. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. So, um, I would say in a very technical sense, the first time Christ bled for you is when they cut his umbilical cord. The second time he bled for you was on his eighth day of life when they circumcised him. Something to chew on. Uh, verse 6 uh, verse 5 Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born unto him and Sarah said God has made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me and she said who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah 
should have given children to suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age. But I, I love that, you know. I mean, I've borne him a son in his old age. <laughs> He's the old man. <laughs> Yeah, I gave that old cooter boy. <laughs> She's 90. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. Um, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast that same day that Isaac was weaned. And so then we have conflict between um, Ishmael and, or actually between Hagar and uh, Sarah and Ishmael as well. And so... Sarah has her baby, and verse 10, she says, uh, she says unto Abraham, because, because Ishmael is mocking, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So now that Sarah has Isaac, and Isaac is the child of promise, now she says, you've got to throw him out. Kick him out. That had to be a hard thing. It's a hard thing, right? For, for yeah, yeah. Now think about this. So I, it's the reason why I'm walking through this because, you know, through patience, through, through faith and patience, inherited the promise. And God promised Abraham and multiplying all the blessing all bless you, multiplying all the And then, you know, he inherited the promise. Okay? So, he's promised all these nations. He has Ishmael. Does Abraham love Ishmael? Yes. He loves Ishmael. He's crying out to God for Ishmael. And now when he finally has his heir, Sarah says, nuh-uh. You know, you, you read any histories of uh, ancient kings and anything like this, you know, it, it's, it's good to be a prince until the king dies. Right. <laughs> and then you better be the crown prince or you're the beheaded prince. I mean, it's just the way it went. And so, um, now, he's got to kick Ishmael out. And verse 12, God said to Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for Isaac thy seed shall be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, put her on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. It's dire circumstances. I mean, she, he's 13. He's dying of thirst in the wilderness. You read, you read the account. He's dying of thirst. And she goes off. She doesn't even want to see him die. She's out of water. God shows up. Says, I got him. Think about how difficult this is for Abraham. The son he pleaded for, the one he doesn't want to send away, and God says, it's okay to send him away. It's okay. I've got him. Listen to your wife. I'm going to transfer this blessing through Isaac. Go ahead and send him out. Now, if you're wondering why there's still a shooting war in the Levant today, <laughs> you know, Raker runs deep. So with Ishmael, God says send him out. It's dire circumstances, but on the heels of sending of saying send him out. He's, he says, I got it. Don't worry about it. I've got him covered. He's going to be, I'm going to make nations out of him too. He's a 13-year-old kid. What does that mean? It means he's going to make it. He's going to be all right. Okay? So he has that promise. And he sends 
his firstborn son out. You know, he, uh, what, what do you call that when you, not excommunicate, that's the ecclesiastical term. Uh, when you kick someone out of a country. Exile. Exile, yeah, yeah, he exiled, right? He's exiled. Exiled from the covenant community. He's exiled. He's out. Excuse me. So now, boy, sorry. Um, we get to Genesis 22. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom he could swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Having patiently waited. Wait a minute. He's got the child already. This is quoting out of Genesis 22. This is not quoting out of Genesis 12. It's not quoting out of Genesis 15. It's not quoting out of Genesis 17. This is Genesis 22. <clears throat> and it came to pass, verse 1, after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I, here I am. Now this is tempt as in try. This is not throwing a stumbling block in someone's way. This is to try him. And he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. This is the first mention of love in the entire scripture. The first mention of love in all of the Bible is when God tells Abraham, Take Isaac, the son you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. No exit, no out, no it's okay, no, no do what your wife says. Abraham, grab Isaac, go to Moriah, sacrifice him, and burn every bit of him as an offering to me. Let the smoke go to heaven. Now we see a little bit of long-suffering. Now we see a bit of long temper. Now we see faith tried in the other. This is not, you know, I'm at the praise and worship conference, rah, rah, believe God. This is not, you know, visualizing in front of my mirror and telling myself scriptures. This is... Throw your son. Okay. I'm telling you, there are places faith go that I haven't been yet. I've come close to losing children. I can't imagine being asked to kill one. Now, if this is not the God of your theology, you better change your theology. Because <coughs> this is exactly what God asked of the Father of faith. We know the end, okay? We know how it turns out. But don't give yourself the emotional out of knowing the end of the story. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God said, leave your home. He left. God said, look at the stars. I'll give you all these kids. He believed. God said, I'll give you Isaac. He laughed. But he got him. God said, take Isaac and sacrifice him. 
Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass. That <laughs> should be like a bumper sticker. <laughs> God said go, and Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his ass. I mean, it wasn't, there was no, hey, let's, let's pray about it. Let's say, I better talk to Sarah about this. Um, hey, uh, you know, bring in all the tribal chieftains. If he talked to Sarah, it would have never happened. You know, there was none of that. God, he got up early the next morning. He got his donkey all set up. And he got Isaac. Two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto a place of which God had told him. Now, clave wood. I didn't even do. Uh, I didn't even do. I didn't look up the verb. What does it mean to clave wood? Most of the. If, if you've had a children's storybook or whatever, or seen Bible representations of this, basically what you generally see is a seven-year-old kid with a bunch of twigs on his back. <laughs> Okay? Um, have you ever tried to burn something entire? A bunch of dry branches doesn't get it done. You need fuel. You need fuel. You need to cleave some wood, as in split it, as in have some lumber, or some good size fire starting material. If you're going to burn a body, you need a good fire. He's got two young men with him, and Isaac, and the donkey. <clears throat> and they went up into the place which God had told them. Verse 4, check that out. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. That's why Jesus says, did, did you guys read? Three days and three nights? I mean, uh, if I said it once, I've said it dozens of times in the whole law. <laughs> After three days. Mount Moriah. And saw the place afar off, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, look at that. That's verse 5. We have no recording of additional communication from God. We have a command from God that says, take your son, the son you love, and offer him up. And Abraham gets to Mount Moriah, and he has his two young men wait. He says, the lad and I are going to go up there, and we're going to worship, and we are coming back. Now, the faith gymnastics of this, and we know this from Hebrews 11, 19, is that Abraham came up to the only answer he could come up to, which is, okay, the God I trust said he'd give me Isaac, and the God I trust said Isaac was the child of the covenant, and the God I trust said sacrifice Isaac, and Isaac has no children, ergo, Isaac must get up from the dead after I kill him. It's the only answer. Because God can't be wrong. How radical is your faith? Or long-suffering? I'm telling you. I'm not there. I'm not whipping any knives out on my kids. I didn't even circumcise them. Just think about that. 
Because God hasn't given him an out. Except for the promises he already gave him. The information, present information, that Abraham is running on is, is that he is going to the top of this mountain and he is going to sacrifice his son and burn him as a holocaust to God. A burnt offering. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him up on the altar upon the wood. That's verse 9. Okay. Again, you usually see this represented as Isaac being, I don't know, between 7 and 10 years old. We're going up a mountain with wood that a lad is carrying. So, so what is this lad? Well, Lad is the Hebrew term na'ar, N-A apostrophe transliterated, right? A-R, na'ar. And, and it can encompass an age from infant to adolescent. But really, its reference point is a young man in reference to an older man. Now, um, I think the, the last... Living Laram of my father's generation passed away like two weeks ago, my Uncle Rold. My Uncle Rold was in his 70s. He was still working for a master shipwright. They built ship uh, sail, sailboats and then they would sail them down the California coast and <coughs> sell them. And this master shipwright was in his mid-80s. He called my uncle the kid. Okay? If your dad's 100 years old when you're born, <laughs> okay? How long are you younger? Long. <laughs> right? So, Scripture doesn't say how old Isaac was. But it does tell us that the wood for the sacrifice, at least enough in Isaac's mind to burn up a sheep for a burnt offering, he's carrying. It, it, they did burn a ram for a burn off. They, it burned up a ram. Yeah. The, the, the wood they carried burned up a ram. Yeah, that's a lot of wood. Yes, it is. That's a lot of wood. Just to jump ahead, the next time signature that we get in the narrative is in chapter 23 and verse 1. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of Sarah's life. So the next time signature we get is Sarah's death. There's some, some things that occur between the Mount Moriah experience and Sarah dying, but that kind of gives us a parameter of about 37 years of this transpiring. Josephus, recording uh, Jewish tradition, says Isaac was 25. So, when you don't have a wiry old, robust, full of fight, 
shepherd, hog-tying his seven-year-old son, kind of like, Hey, Dad. Wooden fire, where's the lamb? Don't worry about it, son. God will give us a sacrifice. Oh, look, a squirrel! <laughs> no. <laughs> it happened like that. It's not recorded. But there came a point in time when Abraham looked at Isaac and said, You're the sacrifice. Later on in scripture it said Isaac greatly feared the Lord. Yeah. And I would too. I, I, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's in Jacob's mouth where he describes the Lord as the fear of Isaac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that if you agreed with your father and laid down on the altar and he has the knife whipped out at your throat and the angel shows up and holds his hand, you might have a healthy respect for God Almighty and what faith requires. Good thing. Good thing they named him Laughter. You know, some things you want to look at and rest of the Yes, it's kind of funny. I was looking up at the old man and... No, it's not funny at all. It's not funny at all. Back to chapter 22. And they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him up on the altar upon the wood. So, this is just common sense. If you've got to stay on the fire and you want to do this quick, you don't want anyone moving. This is kind of harsh to even think about, but understand that he is walking... They've been camping and walking in a culture that sacrifices humans all the time. Human sacrifice is not something unfamiliar to them. So if you're going to slaughter a person like you slaughter a lamb, you've got to bleed them out. You don't want to move off the, off the rock. What's going through Isaac's mind? What's going through Abraham's mind? They're laying down these stones. They're laying the wood in order. A good pyre, so this thing burns. Got some ventilation. No, 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 son, cross those over. We just want to make sure that fire is working right. And he raises his knife. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here, I'm, here am I. Man, talk about, I'm so glad that phone rang. Right? And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God. This now I know is usually put in the mouth of, of believers who joyfully come to a recognition of what God has done. Now I know the Lord has, but this is out of God's mouth, essentially. Now I know, now I know 
that you fear God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. He sees a ram with a crown of thorns on his head. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead, in the stead of his son. God will provide an offering. So there, there, there's, there's just so much that's not recorded. But you could think through, just think through the dynamics of this. I mean, you're Isaac in the story now. The narrative. We say story, stories. I don't want you to think when I say story that I mean it's, it's like a, it's, it's like not true or it didn't happen. This happened. Okay? And so you're Isaac and you're laying there tied up. Your dad just had the knife. He's getting ready to do the deed. And he stops. And then he looks. Now he has to cut you free. Now you have to come off the altar. Now you both have to get this ram that's caught in the thorn bush and get him loose. Guess what? Sheep don't go to the slaughter like sheep most times. They fight. I mean, they do if you corral them right. But I imagine, uh, you know, one caught by his horns, a little agitated already. You've got to get that animal. Now you have to slaughter that animal. Now you've got to lay that animal where you just were laying and light the fire and watch the smoke go up. That was you, son. Later on, God will make this deal with all the firstborn of Israel. He says, all the firstborn of mine. Matter of fact, I'll kill every firstborn in Egypt. Want to keep yours? Kill a lamb. Put blood on the door. He gets him out in the wilderness. He says, hey, remember, all the firstborn are mine. You can keep them. Just give me a half a shekel of silver. And oh, by the way, I get all the tribal Levites. You are redeemed with silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So I found this on, on the internet today, and I just was struck by it. But this is after the Lord says, don't lay your hand to your boy. And this is done by Slava Groshev. He's a Russian artist. But here you have Abraham, you know, and Isaac, and he still has the rope on his wrist. And you see the wood, and you see the knife. But what you see mostly in this painting is love. God didn't give himself that out. God sent His only begotten Son, and when they nailed Him to the cross, He didn't say, no, don't lay a hand on Him. He went through the whole ride and watched Him bleed out and sat on His hands because He had to, to get you.
Oh, my lands. What a father we have. What a Lord we serve. He didn't avoid this cross. He marched out of the grave. Amen? I just love that painting. It's my new favorite. Just found it today. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, here we go, verse 17, in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Galatians 3.8. Is that the right reference? Galatians 3, verse 7 and 8. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And as the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. See, Abraham said, What will you give me I have no heir. I have no one to inherit what you're giving me in my household. And God said, count the stars. And Abraham later says, well, how will I know? And God says, sacrifice these animals. Let's walk through covenant together. And then God shows up and says, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham laughs. Abraham gets a son. God says, send Ishmael out. Abraham argues. Isaac grows up. God says, give me that one. Abraham says, yes, sir. It's then that he has the gospel preached to him. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I haven't double-checked to see if the, he shall possess the gates of his enemies are in the other blessings or not, but it's certainly in this one on the heels of faith and long-suffering. That he inherited the promise. That promise came to full fruition when he put Isaac up on that altar and pulled his knife out. You know, Jesus came in and was called the Son of God when He was born. But He was also called the Son of God when He was resurrected. Isaac came from the dead twice. Once out of Sarah's dead womb. And then, in a type, off this altar where He didn't lose His life, 
Jesus came to be through an improbable birth, a virgin birth. But like I said, he was the lamb. He went through the whole ordeal. God's only begotten son, the one he loved. He sacrificed for you and me. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is what I meant about the faith gymnastics. This is trusting God. I have two contradicting pieces of information from the same source who is truth. So he must have a wider frame of reference. I must obey. It's astounding. The place where they went was Mount Moriah. Centuries later, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah's descendant, David, will call forward a census to measure his armies against the armies of the nations around him. God's not really happy about this census. wasn't supposed to be done. So as fast as they're counting them, they're dropping dead. And David says, hey, leave, leave these people alone. Take it out on me. I'm the one who did it. And he sees the angel of the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And he buys the man's oxen and his threshing gear to offer sacrifice to God on that threshing floor, Mount Moriah, where they built the temple. He sees the end from the beginning and calls the things as though they that are not as though they were. So look at look at the level of imitation. Faith is, yes, Lord, I believe. Long suffering is, I will do what you say until I see it and inherit the promise. It's carried through by hope because you know the one who promised. He who gave you his own son. What's he going to hold back? What's he going to hold back? He gave you Jesus Christ and raised him from the dead and brought him back up to glory so that he, as your high priest, after the order of Melchizedek can stand before the Father and mediate for you. He intercedes for you in the power of an endless life. We're instructed in Scripture to pray for each other, and we should. We should get together and pray. We'll talk about that during supper. But understand, there's not been a day that you're, you've been alive that Jesus hasn't prayed for you. <laughs> And he continually goes to the Father for you. Amen.